Open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. The scripture that we're using, because obviously the title of this series is What is Truth? And that comes from a verse in John chapter 18, which we talked about last week, where Jesus is standing in his trial before Pilate. He's already been tried before the, um, uh, uh, before the Sanhedrin, and now he's standing before Pilate, and he's being tried, and Pilate doesn't know why he's there. He's trying to find some reason to, get, to excuse him and get rid of him. And he says, they accuse you of being a king. Are you a king? And Jesus said, I'm a king, but not of a kingdom of this earth. He said, if I were of this earth, my kingdom was of this earth, then my servants would come and they would deliver me from your hands, but that my kingdom is not of this earth. And Pilate couldn't understand that. And he said, but I've come to speak truth. And Pilate, and this is the key verse here, Pilate says, what is truth? And then we looked in John 14 where Jesus said about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so we have this ironic picture, which is where the world is today, is you have Pilate who represents the world and education and all the best that man can do and the authority of man standing there saying, what is truth? Or today they're even saying, is there truth? And standing right in front of him was the embodiment of truth himself. And the irony is Pilate could not see it. And so we have to be able to see the truth, be able to know the truth. And so what we began to look at last week is we're living in an age, as we just quoted in prayer out of Isaiah, where truth has fallen in the street, where truth is confusing and we're being taught, and I'll get into more today, the young generations are being taught there is no such thing as truth. And obviously that is Satan's work to undermine the gospel so that they will not have trust in the faith in the gospel or the God that loves them and has given his son's life for them. But I just wanted to start by looking at this because this is something that, that the scriptures foretold was going to happen. And Timothy, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and we looked at this a few weeks ago in another context. He wrote this letter to Timothy near the end of his life in ministry, and he start, we'll start in verse 2. He says, preach the word, because this is the answer to what's going on. Preach the word, be ready in season or out of season. In other words, when it's popular and when it's not popular. And when you preach the word, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and with teaching, which is what we're doing this morning. And this is why. For the time will come when they, this is the church, will not endure sound doctrine. It'll be there, but they won't put up with it. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. You know what an itch is? This is the time of year when mosquitoes come out. And they like to suck on your blood and replace your blood with their saliva. And it causes this itching sensation, which we call a mosquito bite. And, and, and what do you want to do when you get a mosquito bite? You want to itch it because there's a scratch there. I discovered something a long time ago that if I don't scratch it, it goes away. Because the deceptiveness of a mosquito bite is when you scratch it, you spread it. This is a little different lesson, but if you scratch it, you spread it. The same is true of itching ears. The same is true of any desire of your flesh. The more you try to meet the desire of your flesh, the more you want it. The, the largest selling sodas are like Coca-Cola and Pepsi. And Pepsi is even worse than Coke because what do they do? It's the pause that refreshes, but it doesn't refresh because it's full of sugar. And of course, they have Diet Pepsi, which isn't full of sugar, but it's something that's sweet. Why? Because the sweet makes you want more of it. Because they're in the business of selling it, so they're not giving you something to satisfy you. I'm not against Pepsi. If you love Diet Pepsi, go for it. But understand this, it won't satisfy you. It's designed to make you want more, so you'll buy more of their products, so they'll make more money. And so it doesn't satisfy. And so itching ears refer to things we want to hear that won't satisfy us. But notice, because of their itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Verse 4. And they will turn their ears aside from the truth. We're talking about what is truth. To be turned aside to fables. We talked about this a few weeks ago, again, in a different context. The contrast here is between truth that we need to hear and see and fables that are being offered to us that are attractive to our flesh. And I talked to you about what the difference between a fable is and truth. 
A fable is a story that man's made up that's designed to teach some kind of principle or some kind of moral or some idea in the story of a story. And one of the ones I use as an example, it's not technically a fable, I guess, but it's an example of that, is the three little piggies. Remember who built the three houses? And the wolf came along to huff and puff and did not blow their house down. And the first pig made his house of straw, and it was no challenge for the, devil, I mean, the, the, the wolf to blow it down. The second pig made his house of, of sticks. That was no st- difficulty to, for the wolf to blow the house down. And the third pig made his house of bricks, and the wolf couldn't blow it down. And the lesson of the story is, whatever you make your house of determines how well it can stand against the wolf trying to blow your house down. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And then I remember Jesus taught a parable, Jesus, the truth, taught a parable about two houses that went through a storm. And one house fell, and the other house stood. But the difference in the house that stood and the house that fell was not the materials the house was made of. The difference in the houses that stood and the house that fell was what the house was built on. And here's a powerful difference between a man-made fable and the truth of God. Because the underlying assumption of the three little piggies is that what you build into your own life will determine how strong you are. What you build into your life. What Jesus is teaching is it's not what you build into your life, it's who you build your life on and what you build your life on on. And that's a subtle difference, but it's the difference of eternal life and death. And so if you don't understand what we're going to learn is truth and the source of truth, you can be confused. And I know that's a silly example, but it's a very powerful example because these truths are subtle. The devil is a deceiver, and he goes on to talk about being deceived. We looked last week at the scripture where Jesus said about the devil. He says to the the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. That made him popular. You're of your father, the devil. He says, because the devil is a liar and is a liar from the beginning and there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he has to speak a lie because he speaks of his own nature because there's no truth in him. But that doesn't mean he won't use truth. He'll use truth to tell you a lie. Do you ever, you ever sit in church and you hear something and you really leave condemned and beaten up? I used to do that all the time until I understood what was going on. There's truth being preached and the devil's taking that truth and beating you up with it. And so he can... Everybody here this morning? Yeah. All right, just want to make sure. Okay, you're just, either you're listening or you're asleep. I'm going to assume you're listening. <laughs> all right, praise God. This is important very important. So we need to recognize that how do we discern this? And as I began to study this, I I got into this a little bit last week, I began to study some of the system, because I live a sheltered life. You know, I I work here. (laughs) And most of the world I interact with is you. And so it's very easy, and especially, you know, I was raised in a generation we weren't taught these kinds of things. But what I've discovered is they were already at work. And there is a philosophy that's out there in the world right now that started about halfway through the, the last century, the 20th century. And the, the term that's used is postmodernism. Modernism, post means after or following. Modernism refers to, to the basic view of, the, of reality and of life that came out of a time in the, in the, in the 17th century, or the 18th century, called the, the, the Enlightenment, the Age of Reason. It's when man began to realize that, that through our thinking, through our reasoning processes, we would, could come to the knowledge of the truth. And we may not all agree on how that's done, but the goal was there's a truth out there we can discover, and we'll just use our mind to get there. So there was always, at least there was an agreement that there's a tr- real truth out there we can discover, and we discover it with our mind. What happened in the, in the, in the last part of, in the middle of the last century, the, the 20th century, is that some people began to look at the world and the society and say, it's not working. 
With all this enlightened thinking and reasoning, where have we gotten to? So, just maybe, there's no such thing as truth. And that's what they began to conclude. So, postmodernism is the view that we're, gonna, we're throwing out. That didn't work, so we're going to look at things from a fresh point of view. And here's what they've come up with. And I'm going through this because I want to show you in a few minutes how that's working in our society today very subtly. And again, I'm not here this morning or through this series to take somebody that believes in postmodernism and change your thinking. I can't do that with my reasoning because you won't believe there's in reasoning. I'm here to teach the church. My purpose is to teach the church so that we can discern the lies that are out there, the fables that are out there, because they don't come to you advertised as postmodernism. They don't come to you advertised as a fable. They're, they've saturated our society. They're all around us. They're through our media is saturated with it. On all sides of the media, our entertainment industry is saturated with it. So unless you're just reading the Word of God, everything you read, everything you hear, everything you listen to has this interlinked laced in it, has this as its underlying message, and we're going to see that as we walk through this. So I want to go back over some of the basic principles, which is kind of an irony because they don't have principles, the basic principles of postmodernism. The first principle is this. Well, let me back up a second. The first principle is truth has no corresponding reality. Let me explain to you what that's talking about. During the age of enlightenment, during the age of reason, the concept, the idea of truth was typically defined as when we, as, as, as a reality that's actually out. The Pastor Kurt's guitar is a reality, okay? But the only way I know that reality is I can see it. That's how I know it's there, or, or I can touch it. And now I can hear it. So I know it's there, alright? So, so, truth is something I believe or see that actually corresponds to something that really is. So if what I see or what I believe does not correspond to that, then it's not the truth. So if I, let's suppose, you know, I got something in my eye and my eyes get all watery, or suppose I needed my glasses to be able to see that clearly, and I look at it and I say, I think it's a guitar, but, but it, I, I think it's a 12-string guitar. That would not be the truth. Why? Because what I'm saying does not line up with what it actually is. It's a six-string guitar. Everybody follow me so far? So that's what, how truth has traditionally been defined. Postmodernism says there's no such thing as the guitar. There's, it's a little hard to work with, but you'll see it as we walk this out. There's no such thing as a guitar that's really there, all that exists is my impression of the guitar, is what I think I see. And they come to that conclusion because I may look at that one way and Steve may look at it from another perspective. It may look different to Steve than it looks to me. There may be some of you out there that are colorblind and when I say it has a, it has a brown face on it, you'll say, no, it's got a gray face on it. So what they say is they look at the fact that, our, that we're all influenced when we look at something, when we look at what we think is truth, we're all influenced by our biases, by our, by our preconceived ideas, by our... You know, and have you ever been in a situation where, and I've had this happen a number of times, where you'll see somebody in a place where you're not expecting them and you'll walk right by them, or you'll see, because I'll have people look at me, oh, Pastor John, and they look at me because they think I live in a suit with a tie on and I'm in my shorts and a t-shirt, and they're kind of shocked because they're not expecting me to be there. So they're not sure whether they really saw me or not. Ever have that happen? So what these postmodernists do is they say, okay, that means that I don't know whether it's real, because all we're basing the reality of that guitar on is we all think we see it. Just follow me out. So what they teach is that there is no such thing as a... As a absolute reality, as a, as a corresponding reality. And listen carefully. Instead, reality is something we form for ourselves out of our own biases, our own experiences, and our own understandings. We form our own idea of what is truth for me. And we'll see why that, how that works. They do that because they believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth or an ultimate truth. 
There is really no truth that we can search for together. So we're all coming together today for no reason at all. Because you're here, hopefully, because you want to know what is truth. We're all here together to find truth, and we have to believe that there's a truth to find. But they say there is no truth to find. That's an illusion. There is no other truth. It's only our experiences that matter. Now listen carefully to this. This is one of their cardinal teachings. Self is the source of truth and reality. And in other words, I'm the source of what's true for me. And Bruce is the source of what's truth for him. And Kim is the source of what's truth for her. And that makes for an interesting marriage. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but that's what happens sometimes. My wife and I used to do this demonstration about how, how, how God brings opposites together so that we can blend our strengths and our weaknesses together. And we would stand there back to back in a room and we would get into an argument, a false argument about what's in the room. And she'd be looking at a door and I'd be looking at a picture. And she, I'd say, well, this, this room has a picture on the wall. She said, no, it doesn't. It's a door. I said, no, it doesn't. It's a picture. <laughs> it's a picture on the wall. No, it's a door. It's a picture. Now, the audience could see we were both right. And so what I'm believing is truth for me is a picture, and she's no truth for me is a, is a door. And so what they teach is there is no absolute truth, so truth for me is whatever I see and whatever I understand. Follow me out. And my reality is created by my words. This will explain a lot that we'll see in a minute. Here's a direct quote from one of these men. Anything can, make, can be made to look good or bad be based on how it's redescribed. So they teach reality is formed by our words. I'm not going to get into this now, but as I was thinking about that, that's biblical. <laughs> that's biblical. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's the power of confession. But, but we, we can only confess and call into being that which God has already willed, not what I decide I want it to be. But I, I, don't, I don't want to get off on that right now. So reality is created by our words. Anything can be made to look good or bad by just being redescribed. So number one, truth has no corresponding reality. There's no such thing as absolute truth. The second principle, all religions, all society and political views of the world are myths, M-Y-T-H-S. They call, they call them meta-narratives. In other words, any attempt to explain how things work in the world is just an illusion, because you can't do that because there is no truth. And of course, what this does is completely undercuts all religion, and especially Christianity. Number three, there is no ultimate foundation upon which knowledge can be based. There's no ultimate foundation on which knowledge... So you can't really ultimately know anything. Number four, this is very dangerous, objectivity is an illusion. Objectivity means you and I may disagree on something, but we have the ability to be objective about it. Subjective means I base everything on how I feel or what I think. But objective means I'm able to dis distance myself from the issue and look at it objectively. And what they say is that, that is an illusion. You can't really do that. So what they teach is what's called objectivity is, uh, is simply prejudices that are used to oppress people. But I, I don't have time to get into that this morning. Fifth principle, truth is whatever works for me. It's called pragmatism. Whatever works for me must be true. And it makes no difference, and this is a direct quote, it makes no difference, which it is. It either works because it's true, or it's true because it works, it doesn't matter. As long as it works, it must be true. Okay, now I know I bored you stiff, but you'll see how this begins to apply in our life. You need to be patient. It is very important to have some basic understanding of these things because they're out there everywhere and they're trying, to they're trying to deceive you. They're trying to deceive us and to undermine our confidence in God and they're trying to destroy the next generation. Again, I'm not trying to convince anybody that believes in postmodernism, 
but I'm trying to prepare the church to deal with these deceptions. Now let's talk for a minute about the consequences of these views and what they mean and how we begin to see signs of this in our, in our society. First of all, because there's no such thing as absolute truth or reality, our, in our entertainment world, in our media, there's no longer a clear line between fantasy and fact. There's no longer a clear line between fantasy and fact. So you have all these movies out there like Avatar and Harry Potter and all these things which are fantasies that are attractive to young people and, and, and they're, wow, that's neat, but they begin to draw d- d- conclusions about the reality from watching these fantasies and they can't tell the difference because the underlying message is there is no difference. Here's where it really gets interesting is when you bring it over into our news media and it's on all sides of every issue. I've shared this with before because I was trained in words. I mean, I was a philosophy major in college before I was saved. And as a lawyer, words were the very thing I worked with. Those were my tools of my trade. And of course, as a pastor, as a teacher, words are critical to me. Understanding of words is very important. And, 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 and to, be, to learn to be precise with words. We're raising generations that only know how to grunt. What's up? And, and we think that's harmless. I'm not picking anybody, but your ability to articulate yourself is directly tied to your ability to understand and perceive. If you've ever heard, watched the, the Ken Burns series on the Civil War, and he used a lot of letters from just ordinary soldiers writing home, most people today couldn't even understand those words because they were very articulately written. If you read just the, the, the letters of some of the soldiers in the Revolutionary War back home, a lot of our, some of our professors couldn't understand what they were saying because they, they, they thought for themselves. They were taught to think. And nowadays, we're not taught to think. In fact, we're taught not to think. We're taught to feel. We're taught to react but not think things through. We're t- being taught as a culture, to not examine where things come from. So whatever's out there must be true, because if it's out there, it must be the truth. So we don't discern whether some, where something's coming from. People will come and say, well, they said it. So who's they? Because who they are determines how much I'm gonna, credibility I'm going to give to what they say. We need to learn to think critically. Okay. So our news media, that's what I was on. (laughs) If you begin to understand this, you'll realize that almost everything that's said... Go back a step. Let's explain it this way. When I was growing up and as a young adult, the news broadcasters were journalists. In other words, their purpose was to take what happened out there and simply report the facts if they were going to express their opinion to influence you, they called it an opinion or an editorial. There's no such thing anymore. It's all mixed together. And if you listen carefully to the words, you'll find the words that they use, the adjectives that they choose, are not reporting facts. They're including judgments into them. And I don't have time to get into the details. Why? Because they're, 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 the media is no longer... And I'm picking on them. This is just a clear example of it. The media is no longer there to report to us what they see. The media there is to influence us to what they want us to believe. And it's on all sides. It's on all sides. It's in our entertainment industry. It's in our media. And we'll talk in a minute about the danger of that. Or maybe next week. Because each individual defines truth from himself, our society together is the continuing discussion of each one of our views of truth based on respecting one another's rights to their truth. In other words, the only, since we're not seeking truth together, since we don't come together to have a, 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 a class or a, or, or, or a 
church where we're going to seek truth together, what we do come together is to share our own ideas of what's truth for us. And our community is therefore bonds us together is, well, this is what I think, but I respect what you think. Let me show you where the, what that's led to. It, it's led to an explosion of, of, of talk show, which is my view of talk shows and call-in shows, is, is it's pulling ignorance. You get a bunch of people that don't know anything about what they're talking about sharing their ideas as if they're truth and everybody else is listening to it and fighting with one another, but this is what's behind it. I mean, when I, when I came back from Bible school, because I really had no, didn't listen to the media at all, when I came back into this area, I was shocked everything that used to be a news program turned into four or five people discussing the news on the radio, not reporting the news, then getting into arguments, and they never concluded who was right. There was not a debate that in truth. They were just all, now I can understand it. They were all expressing their opinions. And then we call in and get engaged in it too. And the idea here gets very subtle. There's a subtle danger in this. Let me tell you the other place it's turned into social media. Now, if you're on Facebook, I'm not criticizing you. You just should spend more of your face time in this book than in Facebook. Because the underlying attraction of Facebook is I want to have a place where I can share what I think is true and I can listen to what you think is true, and because I'll respect what you... because I'll either like what you said or don't like what you said, even though I may not even know you, and you're going to listen to me as if... but you see, the illusion is people are listening to you. They're not. They're more concerned with sharing their ideas than listening to your ideas. But it's created a powerful community that's a false community. False relationships very fragile, very artificial relationships. And I fully believe that Satan's behind that. And I'm not saying Satan created Facebook, but he's behind the philosophy that's underneath it. Now here's what it leads to. And this is what's beginning to emerge, not just emerge, explode in our culture. Because if you assume that my view is as right, I have as much right to my view as you have your view. I do have a right to my view, but I I have a right to be wrong. (laughs) Because there is a right or wrong out there that my view either lines up with or doesn't line up with. But in postmodernism, there's no such thing as a right view out there. It's right because it's my view. So, in order for us to get along, I've got to respect your right to have your view and you respect my right to have my view. So I have to learn, listen carefully, I have to learn to be sensitive to your view. And you have to be sensitive and tolerant and accepting of my view. Everybody follow me? So that's led to this very strong movement out there that everything has to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody because they have a right to what they think and I have no right to make them uncomfortable about what they think. So I'm going through this step by step to show you how this philosophy, this point of view is being used to affect our society to weaken it. And it's gotten in the church. It's gotten in the church. Because if we all espouse to this, why, do, why would we come to church? Everybody ought to get a mic so they get to share what they think. I'm not up here, listen carefully, I'm not up here sharing what I think. I work hard and I pray hard to make sure that I share nothing that's my idea. Amen. So what's controlling our society now is this political correctness. We can't offend anybody. And look what that does. That's designed to intimidate the church to keep its mouth shut. That's what's behind it. To intimidate the church, which is the carrier of the truth, 
to be intimidated to keep our mouth shut because if we speak out, we're going to be haters of men when the opposite is true. There's more love in a church for people than there is out in that world. But again, you redefine reality by the words you say. You redefine reality by the words you say. We, we looked earlier, and I quoted it, but last week we read it. Jesus was not afraid to offend people. And remember, He is the truth. He looked at the Pharisees and said, You brood of vipers. You're a bunch of... You're like whitewashed sepulchers. That's a, that's a tomb. It's whitewashed. You're of your father the devil. He was not intimidated by what they thought. And this is to intimidate the church. And we want to be accepted. But when you're beginning to live in a society that's going to, that's going to box you in... Well, I can't go there right now. I've got to go on. So there's, since there's no universal truth out there, everybody's views have merit. So therefore we can't offend anybody by speaking what we think is the truth because it's not truth for them. Postmodernism, we use our language to construct our own reality. <laughs> I love this statement I found. And the best example of this, but it's, it's, just, it's, it's more than this, is in our, in our advertising world, our marketing world, What's behind it? It informs you, it informs us that what we never knew we needed, we do in fact need. So advertising tells us what we need that we didn't know we need until they told us we needed it. I'm going to say that again because that needs to sink in. The basis of our advertising today is this principle. Reality is formed by your words. So to them, their reality is you need whatever that drug is. Because you know most of them are drugs nowadays. You, you, need, you, you need this drug that you didn't know you needed until they told you you need it so that now you need it. Isn't it interesting? Because the Word of God teaches the opposite. It teaches us to be content with what we have. It teaches us to be content with what we have because if we need something, we have a source for that, which is God. But of course, there is no God to them. I'm my own God. All right. Now, I want to begin to address this. First of all, Postmodernism is logically defective. I'll explain that in a minute. It, it doesn't even logically make sense. And here's why. Because postmodernism says that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And so the question is, is that true? Some of you get that on the way home. <laughs> Is it true that there's no truth? Because here's the problem. If that is a truth, that there's no truth, then the underlying foundation of postmodernism has a flaw, because if that, that's true, maybe there's other truths. On the other hand, if the statement that there's no truth is not true, why should I believe it? But I'm not here to debunk it or take it apart. We could do that. I'm here to show you what truth is and how to find the truth. Postmodernism is based on the assumption that all that exists is what we can see or understand. It's based on the assumption, and it's an arrogant assumption, that all that exists 
is what we can see or sense with our senses or what we can understand. Imagine the arrogance of saying, as a human being, I can determine that there's no reality out there. When our kids were younger, we had a hamster. I don't remember what the name is. Let's call him Fluffy. And they had fun with this hamster, and Fluffy lived in a terrarium with the wheel and all the gimmicks. But then we were in a pet store one day, and they had this little plastic ball. And, and what you could do is you could unscrew this little cap, and you could drop Fluffy in the ball, and, tie, and, 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 and then he could be free to run around the house, and you could pick him up whenever you wanted to him. You didn't have to try to catch Fluffy by the tail, which was virtually impossible. And so we'd put Fluffy down, put Fluffy in there, and... And Fluffy would brrrr over here, and then brrrr over here, and brrrr over here. Now, I'm sure Fluffy didn't have these thoughts. But if Fluffy could think, which based on today's teaching, Fluffy may have been smarter than I am. <laughs> Fluffy thought Fluffy was free, because now Fluffy's not confined to a cage. Fluffy can go anywhere in the house Fluffy wants to. And Fluffy's looking around thinking Fluffy is determining exactly what the reality of our house is like. But all Fluffy's feeling is the inside of a plastic ball. While Fluffy is gliding over, and this tells you how old it was, orange shag carpet. And man trying to determine reality on his own is like fluffy thinking he understood what our house was like. Let alone man deciding there is no reality. I took a course in logic and philosophy when I majored in it. And one of the things they taught me is one of the most difficult things to prove is a negative. To prove that something is, does not exist is much harder than proving it does exist. So to prove that there is no such thing as reality <clears throat> is virtually impossible. But it shows the arrogance of man. So let's begin to look now. Okay, the assumption of postmodernism is that there is no other, there is no other, there's nothing that exists outside of what I experience and what you experience. The Bible teaches us that there's another realm of existence that's above and beyond this natural realm that they think is what we're experiencing. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. What we're looking now is what God says about this in His Word. I'm not going to get into debate of whether there is a God or isn't a God. We're just going to look at what God says about this because He addresses it. Verse 3, Hebrews 11:3. By faith, not telescopes, microscopes, by faith we understand. So the things you can understand by faith that you can't understand with your senses and your reasoning. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did He do it? Let there be light. Let there be darkness. Let there be light in the sky in the day and darkness at night. Let there be. God spoke it into existence. He framed the word by the Word of God. Look at this. So that the things that are seen were not made out of things that are visible. So all that we're trying to discern as reality came from a realm that our senses cannot detect. That's what God says about it. So God's perspective is different than ours because He's not looking at the realm inside the plastic ball. He's looking at it outside because He created it. And God's telling us that there's a realm of existence out there called the spirit realm out of which everything in this realm came, was brought into existence out of that realm. So if postmodernists believe there's no such thing as a God, or a, that's, they can't possibly believe that there's another realm out there. But their assumption is, because I can't see it, feel it, touch it, or taste it, it doesn't exist. That's intellectual arrogance. 
Ephesians 6, we're talking about what God says about this. Ephesians 6. Paul's talking about spiritual warfare, not the Arabs against the Jews or the North Koreans against the South Koreans. He's talking about spiritual warfare. Let's look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against, spirit, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So Paul's letting the church at Ephesus know, you're in a battle, and this is what many of you are in today, you're in a battle, but it's not the, ba- the, the enemy is not the person you think it is or the issue you think it is. There's a spiritual world and realm and spiritual beings and forces that are behind it. Remember the story where Jesus sees a woman that's been bent over for 38 years, I think it was, and said, woman, thou art loosed. And then he did it in church on Sunday, which he shouldn't have done because in church on well, Sabbath day, they're Saturday. They, shouldn't have done, they, they accused him of breaking the law by doing a work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, shouldn't the daughter of Abraham be loosed even on the Sabbath? But what he did was he, did, he spoke to the spirit that was behind it. He commanded, he said, shouldn't this woman be set free from Satan's bound, whom Satan has bound all these years? Now I'm sure if you took her to an orthopedic specialist, he would have found something like, Uh, arthritis or something like that but what Jesus was saying behind that physical condition there was a spiritual source and so when you go to the doctor the doctor is only going to look at it and we've got doctors in here you're looking at it from a natural terms of what we can understand but there are many times that they come up against it and say we don't have an answer but just because they don't have an answer in the natural doesn't mean there isn't an answer in the spiritual Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Everybody okay? All right, good. This is a story of of Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, who got them all upset because he did miracles. And, and, And he was bold. He wasn't intimidated by them. And so they asked him to defend himself, and, and Stephen gives a powerful sermon as it tracing what God's done for Israel all up until now to show that Christ is the Messiah. And he builds up to this point and they're getting angry at him. And now instead of pulling back, he's going to really set them off. Acts, look at verse 55. He says, But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So they were trying Him. And they were on the verge of stoning Him to death. And He looks up. He looks into the Spirit instead of into the flesh. And the heavens open, whether it was physically they opened for Him or He saw it in the Spirit, but He saw something more real. And He saw Jesus standing up from the right hand of God, looking down on Him. So today, whatever you're dealing with, there's spiritual forces at work. We have angels and there are demons out there. If we read on in Ephesians 6, we said Paul talks about the armor of God. And the only offensive weapon he gives in there is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. We talked about that when we studied the spiritual warfare and the armor of God. It is when you take the Word of God and you speak the Word of God into situations, you are putting a sword into the hands of your angels. When, when, when Daniel cried out in prayer for an answer, 21 days later, Gabriel shows up. I think it was Gabriel. And, and he had said, I'm sorry to be delayed. From the moment you asked, I was dispatched from God's side. But there was a warfare in the heavenlies to get through. So postmodernism ignores all that. But God looks at reality through that perspective. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We've got to move along quickly here. 
I know this is very teachy this morning, but it's important background to understand before what we're going to get into. Paul's talking about, look here, we're going to, we talked about this in Renewing the Mind. We're going to look at verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. Casting down arguments. King James says imaginations. That word arguments actually means a system of planned thoughts. And he says that exalt themselves, look at this, against the knowledge of God. It means philosophies. It means ways of thinking things, not just casual thoughts, but organized, planned system of thoughts that are designed to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And that's what postmodernism does. It is an argument, it is a philosophy that has underneath it a design to exalt itself so that people won't know God. That's what Jesus was so mad at the Pharisees about. He says, you're putting roadblocks between God and the people He loves from them knowing Him. You're putting hurdles in their way that you can't keep up with. And finally, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Good place to end. We're talking about God's view of these philosophies. God's view of postmodernism. God's view of what's underneath it. And we're just going to read down through it because we have to, we're going to share the Lord's table together today. We're going to pick up in verse 18. For the wrath of God, that doesn't sound good right there, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, the, and unrighteousness of men. Look at this. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why is it? It's suppressed because the truth can be known. He's going to say, this isn't people that are just ignorant. They are purposely pushing the truth down. Why? Because the truth reveals who God is. And what he's going to show them as we read through this is if you're just open-minded, you're going to realize by just looking at the nature around you, there has to be a God. So in order to avoid that, you have to be people, there have to be people that are consciously pushing it down so that you don't see that there's a God who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because, look at this, what may be known of God is manifest or obvious in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of this world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. We're the things that are made. And he's saying, look, the fact that there's a God, there's a Creator, is obviously by the creation that He made. I know that there's a General Motors automobile company. I know that there's a Buick, because I have a car that was made by them. You're the greatest proof of God's existence. And the more knowledge we gain, the more it proves God's existence. DNA. An extremely, unbelievably complex set of instructions that you got on this little cells that started you, that made you look as beautiful as you are today. <laughs> that told which cells were go to the top of your head as hair. Should have told him to stay there. And then, <laughs> but all that design, you've got to strain hard to believe that's an accident. Well, I can't, I can't dwell on that. <laughs> For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This, God says we're without excuse. We may think we got excuses, but God says we're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, 
birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God has given them up to uncleanliness and to the lust of their own heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature, the, the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He goes on to say, Therefore He gave them over to their vile passions. Even their women exchanged their natural use against nature. And likewise men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burning in their lust for one another. He's talking about homosexuality there. He just thought, I'm going to let them do what they want to do. If they think there's no God, if they're going to be their own God, go at it. See where you end up with. And look where our society is today. I don't have time to go on. And we may do this later on. I want to go back to a scripture I missed. Ephesians 4. And we've got to end there quickly. This is how God sees man determining reality for himself. Verse 17. This I say therefore and testify the Lord that you no longer walk as the rest of... Actually in the real translation is that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Look at this, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness and greediness. And he goes on to say, but you haven't learned God that way. What we're going to go to, obviously, is in this world of confusion that denies there even is such a thing as truth. The only truth that we can put our confidence in is the truth that God's chosen to reveal to us. If indeed there is a God, and if indeed that there is another realm out there, the spirit realm, and if indeed that God cares about us, my thinking is this, and this is my thinking, God, that God, to be fair, would have to tell us who He is and tell us what the truth is since we can't discern that for ourselves. And the only avenue God's used to do this is this Word that He's given to us and the Spirit of truth that He makes available to live within us. And then we choose as an act of our will which we're going to believe. It's an act of your will. And we'll get more into that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for Your grace and Your goodness. And we again continue to look for you to open the eyes of our understanding, not just to discern the times we're in, but to be able to hear the messages and hear truth, to discern truth from error. Because it's so vital in this day and age that we not be among those that are deceived, but we are among those that walk in truth and walk in light because it is critical for what you want to do in this day and age that your people walk in truth. And for that we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment we're going to...